0: Thank you for the support of CrossPoint and the love, the encouragement that y'all have shown during this time of the sabbatical uh, towards me, in um, particularly just the encouragement that you've given. Uh, I'm really thankful for for the people that God has put here at CrossPoint. Um, y'all have, y'all have been a great instrument of grace for me, and so thank you so much. Just I want to begin by saying that, and also saying I'm excited that our senior pastor will be back next week. Uh, hey, it's okay. You can amen it. I've done it too many times this week, so. Uh, so but yes, I, I'm excited. So Exodus chapter 20 verses 16 through 17. Let's read the text and then we'll pray. Verse 16. "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are so thankful, again, for the grace that you give us in Jesus, that, God, we need to hear your word. Man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from your mouth. So, God, keep our ears open, our eyes open, our hearts attentive to hear what you have to say. we love you. Teach us how to love you more and to love others more. In Jesus' name I pray. So let me begin by saying, uh, we're all aware of the necessity of oil changes, right? Uh, why they're important. Uh, you know, the little little orange light comes on, tells you, hey, oh man, you need to take this into the shop. But it, we all know, yeah, we should have oil changes, right? But in the midst of a really chaotic life, you're like, is it really that serious? Like, how, how long can I keep this going, right? Like, I mean, how many miles do we really have? I mean, we three months, I mean, you know, past the date, I think we'll be okay, right? It, it, in the midst of a chaotic life, it just really, an oil change doesn't seem that serious, it doesn't seem that urgent, doesn't seem that important, it doesn't seem that really significant, right? Because, you know what? The car's not breaking down right now, right? Nothing's smoking, nothing's blowing up, you know, there's there's externally, everything is still driving the same way, same as it's always been. Uh, just because things aren't, you know, it's, it's not, there's any. No perceivable change in our vehicles, uh, you know, when we don't initially get an oil change. But I think we are all under the impression that if we continue to push it, you know, kick the can down the road and push it down, we'll realize that our car is going to meet the graveyard one day because we don't get this oil change. And so because things aren't externally uh, externally perceivable, uh, there's not any uh, kind of immediate or instantaneous ramifications, uh, we don't think to deem it as serious and as significant uh, because externally everything looks fine. Nothing seems to be that serious. But here's the case, is that like an oil change, it is a serious thing. And that though you may not see anything right now perceivably, there is danger. And this is what we're going to get at in the tone of these last two commandments, is that in comparison to all the other commandments that we've talked about, murder, stealing, adultery, idolatry, you know what? Bearing false witness and coveting just doesn't seem to meet up as, you know, really that bad, right? Compared to all the other commandments. Oh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not cheating on my spouse. A little white lie never hurt nobody. Oh, wanting some stuff. And not, not a big deal, right? So, in comparison, these last two commandments, just, they don't seem that serious, that urgent, that significant. But let the Bible be a warning to us, congregation. It is serious. And just because there's not perceivable things like murder and adultery, guess what? It is just as dangerous and as damning as any other sin. Bearing false witness, not telling the truth, and covening is just as serious as anything else, any other sin. And that's what we're going we're gonna to hear about this morning, is that we're going to see the, the, the destructive power of lying and dishonesty and desire and coveting and that's the first point on your outline is this the destructive power of dishonesty is that god's people should be marked by telling the truth so we've all heard of the the tower of pisa or the leaning tower of pisa it's become iconic because it what it leans good i'm glad everybody's catching on It, it leans and so it doesn't take a structural engineer to know, hey, something's wrong with that building, right? I got engineers in here. It's like it was built on really soft soil, so it couldn't hold up. It's, it's it, The soil couldn't sustain it. Uh, so it's structurally, uh, it's not stable. It has structural instabilities with it, right? Uh, it, the soft soil has compromised its structure. And so... What we're going to find out in the life of Israel, and particularly in this commandment about bearing false witness, is that what dishonesty does for the justice system in Israel is that it, it compromises and it undermines any form of justice that could be going on in the life of Israel, and that Israel was called to be. Israel was called to be a just nation because guess what? Their God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice, therefore his people should be of justice. But one of the things that undermines justice in any society, ancient or modern, is what? Lying, dishonesty, deceit, manipulation. It undermines it, and it compromises the integrity and the structure of the whole society. And particularly for Israel and their covenant relationship with their God is that bearing false witness could compromise their witness to the world of their God being a just God and a righteous God. And so let's consider this, is that this commandment about Bearing false witness, the context of this I- I- is interesting, is that that it's particularly, um, uh, the context or the surroundings of this commandment is about bearing false witness in a legal or a court case. And so Israel was being called to say, when you're, when you're called into court or into a legal case, you, you're not to, to speak untruthfully, you're not to speak deceitfully or ma- manipulatively, but you're actually to tell the truth and the factual truth what it is. So the commandment was intended to protect and promote justice in Israel. Promote and protect justice for their neighbors and the people who lived around them. And so they were to refrain from speaking uh, speaking any error uh, intentionally in, in court cases that would possibly harm somebody else's life. That's what this commandment is prohibiting Israel from doing. To being a, a nation that is marked by speaking truthfully in court cases. and And this is really pivotal, pivotal in, in Israel's life because witnesses in a court case are essential. I mean, so I don't, I know this is not a shock to anybody, but in ancient Israel, they didn't have DNA tests. They didn't have audio recordings. And they didn't have video cameras. They didn't have fingerprinting or anything like that. I don't know if that's a shock to anybody. They didn't have that. It's pretty new, right? So you know what was really relied upon in ancient Israel? Witnesses, eyewitness accounts, people who saw the crime. And so... What happens is, if a witness lies about something, then they hold that person who is being accused their life in their hands. Almost is that that person's life is in their hands; it, it's being jeopardized because of their false witness, because of them lying. So that's the weight of this: Is that Israel is to refrain from any form of bearing false witness in a court context, in a legal context, because guess what they. They hold that person's life in their hands. And so for somebody to lie in a court case, there were serious punishments for that. In Deuteronomy 19, it says this, If you bear false witness in a court case in a legal context, guess what? You're found out, you will be put to death. Because the outcome that you were seeking to get for the person that you were falsely accusing is now going to become yours. Because you are jeopardizing their life. You were trying to take their life unjust, unjustly. And so this commandment is trying to promote uh, promote justice in Israel by them telling the truth in court cases in legal contexts. But I think we can all all see that there's a there's, as we've seen in the weeks before, and there's a larger extension to this commandment, like any anything else, is that Israel wasn't just intended to speak the truth in court cases; they're to speak the truth in every case, whether that be in their home in their in their uh, in the marketplace, in their job, wherever it may be, Israel was to be marked by a people who tell the truth, who are known for truth-telling. Because their God is. Their God is one who tells the truth. And so it's commanding us to, to be people who speak truthfully, no matter if we're inside or outside of court, because guess what? Our love for our neighbor is demonstrated by we, we tell the truth to them and about them. That's what it is. That because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ is that we now, we want to tell the truth about everything not decei- deceive people or manipulate people or lie about people whether that be in a court context or not it's wherever, we are to be the people marked off by speaking the truth when everything else is a lie that's who God's people are is that we tell the truth but why do we lie? That, that's just kind of the question that continued to come back in, into me this week as I was thinking through this sex. is that why do we lie? Why do we want to make things sound better than they really are? Why do we want to make exaggerate things? Why do we want to change and contort things? Why do we want to uh, just make things, maybe make, make them sound worse than they are sometimes? Why do we do these things? I, I come to two reasons why we lie. Is one is self-preservation. Self-preservation, e- either, either for our reputation or our name or what we're known for, is that we don't want people looking bad at us. We, we don't want people thinking worse of us. So we lie in order to save our reputation, in order to make ourselves look better. It's self-preservation. That's what it is. But in that scenario, when we lie out of self-preservation, that says that we are God and I'm the only person that matters in this whole thing. It doesn't matter if I make somebody else look bad or if I lie about somebody else's character or their name or their reputation. It doesn't matter. Guess who only matters in this situation? Me. So we lie out of self-preservation. You've probably all felt that tension in a scenario where, man, if I tell the truth, this is going to make me look really stupid and really bad. You know what? Maybe I'll fudge a little bit and it'll make them look really bad. We do it out of self-preservation second thing is this we lie sometimes out of pure vengeance out of pure vengeance is that somebody has angered us in such a way to such a degree that we are okay with lying about them to see them get what they they deserve right as though we even have the authority to do anything like that is that we lie not out of self just out of self-preservation we out lie out of vengeance sometimes that we are so angry at a person that we just want to see their demise and their destruction. And we want to see them look as bad as possible. We want to take vengeance. And as we know from the Book of Romans, guess who gets is the only person who has the authority to take a vengeance? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So when we lie, not just out of self preservation, but out of vengeance, we're saying, I'll take God's place and I'll take vengeance. I don't trust God to bring about true justice in this situation. I'll bring about justice, and I'll lie about them, and I'll destroy and defame their character and their name to everyone I know. It's taking the position of God. So that is why we lie. We lie because we want to preserve our name and our reputation, and we want to look the best despite what other people look like. And we do it out of vengeance sometimes, out of pure anger, and we take God's authority from Him. This is not okay. Because as we've seen from Matthew 22, if all these... If all these commandments are about loving God and loving neighbor, then lying is not loving God and lying is not loving neighbor. And, and let's piece this out. How is it not loving God? How is it not loving neighbor? Well, first, let me, I want to give you a piece of application just real quick. Is that practically, lying sticks with us. Lying sticks with us is that it's hard for people to forget that you lie. Now, people may have opinions of you based on other sins that you do, but lying is not easily forgotten. Let me just give you an example. Who said this line? I am not a crook. Hmm. What is he known for? Nixon. Nixon. He's known for lying. It's hard to get out of the minds. Our our ability to, to bring to mind... Richard Nixon, out of that one line, says he's got a legacy of something. People don't easily forget lying. People don't easily forget deception and manipulation. That should be a warning for us. Because guess what? This will affect our witness in the world. Because honesty has a lot to do with evangelism. If people can't believe us on the -the run-of-the-mill sort of topics, how would they ever believe us that Jesus Christ is Lord? how would they ever believe us about the gospel? So us being people who speak the truth in whatever situation, about whatever topic, it's going to affect our evangelism and our witness to the world because if people can't believe us about every other topic, then they will not believe us about the gospel. We have to be truth tellers. We have to be. And so, but lying, the deceit and manipulation, bearing false witness, it is not loving God and loving neighbor because when we lie... We are not loving God because we are not rightly and accurately representing him to the world. When we lie, we're communicating to the world that our God is not trustworthy, that he is a liar. And guess what? That is certainly not true, right? Numbers 23, verse 19 says this. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Titus Chapter one, verse one through two. Paul is servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised. The ages began. When we lie to the people around us, manipulate and deceive, we are saying something different about God, and God is certainly not a liar. But guess who does lie? Satan. In John eight forty four. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, guess, guess what? I'll just read this to you. He's saying this to, the, he's saying this to the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we are saying something opposite of who god is we're actually we are more in line with what satan does he lies and he is the father of lies so when we lie and we manipulate and we deceive we are not communicating the right attributes about god we are communicating that our god cannot be trusted and he cannot he cannot be trustworthy but not only does lying say we do not love God, it says that we do not love our neighbor because we are putting them in jeopardy in their harm, in their well-being, in their reputation. We're actually saying our reputation matters more than theirs. We are not loving our neighbor. And What Paul says is this, Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Colossians 3.9-10, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. Guess what lying is characteristic of? It's characteristic of you before Jesus Christ. Now you in Jesus Christ is characterized by telling the truth to people, not lying to them. So this is who we we are, is that we tell the truth. We don't bear false witness. We don't ruin people's reputation. We don't ruin people's name. That we tell the truth because we love God and we love our neighbors, but I think we we break this commandment a lot more than we want to consider. Do we ever give people the benefit of the doubt? Is that our first conclusion? Or do do we hear something about somebody and we jump to extreme conclusions? We make them out to be the enemy. We're the winner in every battle, right? In our minds. You ever jump to conclusions on somebody? Or maybe you're retelling a story about somebody and you make them sound completely guilty, and you sound completely innocent? Is that not bearing false witness? Is that not ruining a person's reputation and name? Is that not lying? Do you protect other people's re- reputation? Are you, or, or are we more inclined to defame them, or maybe even to stay silent when their, their names are being ruined? We commit this a lot more than we want to think. So if God is the God of truth, then his people are going to be characterized by truth. Though everything in this world may lie to, it, to us and to everyone else, is that people in this world should say, okay, I know one place that I can go that I'm going to be told the truth, and I can hear the truth, and I know who are going to tell me the truth. That's going to be God's people who follow this Jesus Christ, because he is the way and the truth and the life, and his people are going to be characterized by telling the truth. Do not bear false witness, says, hey, guess what? Don't lie in any context because God has got a truth and you are to be marked by people of truth. So lying is not loving God and is not loving our neighbor because it misrepresents our God and it harms our neighbor. So it's destructive. It destroys. And this leads us to our second one, Is that we've seen the destructive power of dishonesty and now we're going to see the destructive power of desire. That God's people are not just marked by telling the truth, but we're marked by purity of mind and of heart. Um, some of the medical professionals in here can can uh, uh, scrutinize me on this, or or uh, tell me I'm wrong. But asymptomatic uh, means that there a person has a disease or an illness that doesn't necessarily show uh, external signs, right? Doesn't ex- necessarily have any symptoms. Am I right on that, medical professionals in here? Good, I got approval from everybody. Uh, so it, asymptomatic doesn't mean, uh, means that somebody may have a disease or something, and there's just no external signs to that. There, th- there's no uh, kind of uh, checkpoints or anything that shows that there might be something wrong. And so it's just subtly working internally in us. And here's the thing is that coveting is this very thing, is that it's working internally in us, though it may not have any external signs on the outside to say, there's a problem right there with coveting. It's actually, it may be working really deep inside us in the dark crevices of our own heart, and it may not be detected initially. It may not show any external signs, because this sin is covert, coveting. It may be hard to detect coveting, but it is as dangerous as any other sin. Is that coveting is subtle, but it is serious. And I want to read this quote from John Calvin for you. This is a beautiful way to say this. Listen real close. He says this, For if by law coveting is not dragged from its lair, it destroys wretched men so secretly that they do not even feel its fatal stab. Oh, beautiful, right? Let me say it one more time. If it's not dragged from its layer, that being coveting, then here's what it does. It destroys wretched men so secretly that they do not even feel it stab. It almost goes unnoticed, coveting does. Because this is what makes the last commandment so unique, is that every other commandment that we talked about has to do with kind of external actions, right? Murdering, stealing, adultery. And the last commandment is really unique because guess what it goes at? The internal inclinations and motivations of a person's heart. It may not necessarily be external action. The last commandment is actually directing us in there actually may be something wrong inside of you internally that may not be expressed externally all the time. And what this says is this, is that God, as he's telling us in the Ten Commandments, God is not just or solely concerned about our actions. He's also concerned about the attitudes of our hearts. And so I've kind of said this every week if you if we think that we've checked off the boxes i haven't murdered i haven't stolen i haven't committed adultery or anything like that the 10th commandment is going to catch you because yeah nobody may see these things but there is one person who does see what goes inside and works inside your own heart and that is the god who has created you so god is not just concerned about our actions but about our attitudes and so what is coveting what is coveting well i I think it's more than just saying, well, I desire something, or I want something. It is so much stronger than that, coveting is. It, it's fixation. It's fixation where we put value in something, and we will go to the nth degree to obtain it, no matter the method, and no matter who may harm us, or be harmed in the process. Is That we make uh, an object a God in our eyes, and we want it, and we'll do whatever it takes to get it so it can't it's nothing's wrong with wanting or desiring things what the tenth commandment is prohibiting us from is fixating on something to make it an idol in our own hearts and saying i'll do whatever i can to obtain this thing that's what coveting is to become infatuated and so the last commandment is really elaborated we get a lot of a lot of words in this one more than we have in other commandments because god's telling this like you don't covet your neighbor's house." Your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's cattle, your neighbor's servants. Guess what? You don't covet anything that they have. So he just go ahead and sums it all up in the last one. Guess what? You know, uh, just don't covet anything. You can't control yourselves. Right? So nothing, nothing is allowable. Nothing is okay to covet. Everything. And so nothing can be deemed significant. It is a big deal. And so... You may be saying, well, if it's internal and it's just motivations, what what's the big deal? Why, why is it so wrong? Why is, why is coveting so wrong? Well, I'll say this. Sin never lets you stay where you start. Let me say that one more time. Sin never lets you stay where you start. You think it can lie dormant in your heart and it will affect or change nothing in you. But that... Is the danger of underestimating what sin is and when, what sin can do to you? It does not lie dormant in your heart. It actually what what coveting does is that it begins by desire in your heart, it begins by desires. You want something extremely bad, and then you move to the next D, which is discontent. I don't have it, therefore I so I want it, and I, I don't I don't have what I want, and I need it. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I need more of it. So it breeds discontent in us. And then it goes to damage, where we're willing after we've desired it and we're discontent, that we may even consider doing something wrong to our neighbor in order to get it. So from desire to discontent to damage, and then lastly to destruction. Let me see if I can can make sense of this from the Bible. Genesis 3.6, it may be up on the screen for you. Watch how... Watch how desire leads to coveting and leads to destruction. This is, this is Genesis 3 story. So it says this. So when the woman, that's being Eve, saw, you, you might want to circle these words, saw, so she's seeing something, that, was, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired. So she saw, and then she desired. Interestingly, desired, same Hebrew word from Exodus twenty seventeen. So it could be, you could say coveted. She coveted it. It was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See the process in this? She sees something. Oh, I like that. I like that. I want that. I'm, I, I really like that. And then look at what she does. She covets it. She desires it from desire to discontent. I don't have it, and I need it, and I need to get it whatever way I can. And then what does she do? She takes it. So, guess what? Desires don't just lie dormant in the heart. They go further. Let's look at the next one. This is from the sin of Achan in Joshua uh, chapter 7, verse 21. Look what Achan does. They're told to destroy everything uh, after the conquest. Don't take anything with you, Israelites. Destroy everything, every idol, every silver, every gold. Don't take nothing with you. Look what Achan does. When I saw, have we heard that word? I think that was in Genesis 3 too, right? Right? When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted, same word from 2017, same word from Genesis 3, 6, coveted them, and took them. You see the pattern of what happens in Genesis 3 and Joshua 7? There's a seeing, there's a coveting, and there's a taking. Let this be a warning. Coveting doesn't just sit externally or internally. It doesn't just sit on your heart and nothing happens. It leads to destruction. Listen to what James says. James 1 is interpreting these stories for us. It says this, James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin... And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see the process. Each person is lured and enticed, and then they sin, and then death. James four two. Four one through two works like this. Particularly, verse two is pivotal for what we're talking about: is coveting. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Look what coveting leads to is that they see something and they want it, and they covet it, and guess what it leads to? Fighting and quarreling. Let this be a warning to all of us, Crosspoint. Is that, yeah, it may not be external. You may think you don't have a problem with coveting. It's not showing itself. It seems asymptomatic. But guess what? Sin does not lie dormant. It does not lie still. It is going to wreck havoc in your heart and in your life. Do not play with it. Put it to death even now. Sin, sin will not stay where it starts. Because coveting will lead us to leaving God and loathing our neighbor. This is what happens. Paul says this. Is that He says in Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. When we covet, we are breaking the second commandment. We are wanting something more than God. This is what it is. So it will lead us to, to leaving God. And this is what Deuteronomy 7.25 says. It says, when you go into the land, he's telling Israel this, it says, destroy everything, because if you don't, it will entice your heart. Basically, it will, it will lead you away from God. So Be warned. Crosspoint believers, this morning is that yeah, it may not show itself externally. You may be just playing with these things in your own hearts. You may be just saying it's not a big deal. I don't. I'm not hurting anybody else. I don't. It doesn't seem to be hurting myself. But guess what? Coveting does not stay where it starts. It starts in the heart, and then it will produce itself. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 15. All these things breed and fester in our hearts and then they show up in our actions. Don't think that you can, you can keep coveting down and that you can, you can somehow tame it to be okay. Because it's not. It is idolatry and it will lead to harm. Coveting is dangerous. It's not just stay silent. or So consider things that even in your own heart that you have fixations on, that you have infatuations with. Because these are not marks of people who follow Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ, is, those who follow Him, they are marked by purity of heart and of mind. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart, that pertains to even the things that we long for, and the things that we love, and the things that we covet. Purity is not defined by whether or not it hurts someone else. God is concerned about our entire person. So if you think, well, it's not hurting anybody else. It is hurting someone. It is hurting you and your relationship with the God, or the Creator, of the heavens and the earth. It is hurting somebody. It is hurting you. When you long and you lo- lust and you want and you desire and you fixate and you infatuate yourself with something, This is what Romans 1 talks about. Is we love the creature rather than the Creator. This is the danger. And and, and let, let it be a further warning to you. If you think that you can, like your sin, operate covertly, And where it never affects you. And maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe you walk through this whole life coveting in your heart the entire time. And you say, look, it didn't harm me. It didn't harm anybody else. Guess what? When you stand before the judgment seat of God, he will know every action, every thought, every motivation in your heart. It will not get past him. You may get it past your family members. You may get it past your friends. You may get it past the people who sit in this very room congregation. But guess what? On the final judgment day, everything will be exposed before him. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. This is the Lord. He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. God doesn't just judge actions. He judges the motivations and inclinations of our own hearts. And guess what? We have to get those in order. We have to put even those to death. Be warned. You may not be doing things externally that look bad or seem bad. But God sees more than just your external actions. He sees the inward motivations of your heart, the things that you long for, the things that you want, the things that you crave. that's what He looks at as well. Don't think you get a pass on these things just because externally you're doing you're looking good. God sees the very heart of mankind. God sees those things. so the encouragement is this: crucify covenanting with contentment in Jesus Christ. Cru- Crucify coveting with contentment in Jesus Christ. Are you always wanting something? Do you long for things that other people have? Do you wish you had their car, their lifestyle, their house, their job, their kids, their bank account, their spouse, their marriage, their clothes, their toys, their body, their health, whatever they have? Are you, are you daydreaming about the ideal life you could have if things were different? Are you dreaming about that daydreaming? Man, The life I could have if things were just different. I'd have all these things, I've had, I've had, I'd have this, I'd have that, I'd have this, I'd have that. If things were just different, if I had that job, if I'd have that spouse, if i had this situation, then I could have all these things. Congregation, if, if we are constantly longing and pondering on what we could have and not thankful and content with what we currently have, then we may have a problem with coveting. If we are not content and thankful for what we have right now, but always constantly daydreaming and longing for things that we could have, we may have a problem with coveting. Because what Paul says in Philippians 4, I mean, we all know the iconic verse, 13, but we got to read the first, like the two verses above it. You know, we all, we all read the verse, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we put it on the back of every football jersey and every, you know, baseball jersey and all things like that. Listen to what Paul says before verse 13. He says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That puts a lot different spin on that verse, doesn't it? Is that despite where Paul is, whether he is in need or he has abundance, whether he is poor or whether he is rich, guess what? He has Christ, and that is all that he needs. He has the righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ, and that is all that he needs. Despite whether he doesn't have a meal, he has all that he needs. The same should be true for us of those who follow Jesus Christ. Is that if you have Jesus Christ, you have all that you need, believer, this morning. You may not have the white picket fence. You may not have the family that you've always wanted. You may not have the job that you've always wanted. You may not have the bank account that you've always wanted. But you have the gospel that you've always and will always need. That you will always need, despite if you have any of those things. You have Christ, you have all that you need. Because guess what? This life is not about food or clothing or possessions, materials. It's more than that what Jesus says in Matthew 6. That's what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. That's what he says. And he said to them, Take care, he's talking to his disciples, and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our life is more than clothing. Our life is more than homes. Our life is more than any possession that you can try to obtain. So if our thoughts are constantly fixed on... What could we have? What could we want? What could we desire? Guess what? It's not going to stay there. It's going it's to lead us to doing something sinful. And guess what? It may not be seen by others, but it is seen by the God who made us. And guess what? You may think that you need a lot of things. You may think that you need a new house. You may think you need a new spouse. You may think that you need a new job, a new bank account, whatever it may be. What you need most is righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ. And guess what? If you are in Jesus Christ, then you have everything that you need. And I I have to continue saying this over and over. I I do. I I have to. Because guess what? When we walk out these doors, we're hit with promotional ads. We're hit with screen time. We're hit with all these things saying, you need this. You need this. You need to be happier. Do this. Take this. Be this. We are bombarded with what can we do to be happier in this life? What can we do to be fulfilled? What can we do to be satisfied? What can we buy? What can we obtain to just have a better day? Guess what? I have to continue saying this. If you are in Christ, you have all that you need. And he should be sufficient for you. But when we covet, we say God is not sufficient to meet our every need. And he is not sufficient to satisfy all the longings of our heart. That is what we're saying about God. That's what we're saying. So this morning, I, I just I, I, I want to speak a word to people who may be in who or may not be in Christ Jesus. This morning, every person is looking for two things. Truth and satisfaction. Two things. Truth and satisfaction. Interestingly, it's what these two cov- commandments cover. Truth and satisfaction. Is that every person in this world is looking, what is the truth? Who is telling the truth? I need the truth. Every person needs the truth, and they want the truth. And two, they want to be fulfilled. They want to be satisfied in this life. This morning, from these two commandments, we can learn, guess what? Jesus is the truth, and he satisfies every longing heart. And the Bible welcomes and calls all people. Say, I'll just give you what the Bible says. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor with it, which that does not satisfy? Isaiah is saying, look, why are you spending your money on all these, tra- all these things trying to satisfy yourselves? Come, come, come. God says, come. I, I will give you exactly what you are looking for. Truth and satisfaction. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. This morning, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you are certainly and surely looking for truth and looking for satisfaction. And I would just welcome you this morning to take heed of the words that I just read to you. Come, Jesus gives you truth because he is the truth. And he will satisfy every longing of your heart. Augustine said it so well. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Jesus. This morning, believers, you need that truth as well. That Jesus is the truth. And He's going to tell you what the truth is. We need to rest in that. And this morning, you may be fighting coveting in your own heart. Wanting things, wanting a different life. It's what Jesus has given you all that you need, and He's given you so much so that He's not just giving you what you need. He's given you what you need, and it can satisfy your heart this morning. If you will trust in Him more. If you would like to know more about truth and where to find it and where to find satisfaction this morning, please come speak with me or with Jim after the service. We would love to talk to you about Jesus being the fountain of truth and the fountain of satisfaction that we will no longer thirst anymore if we are in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your steadfast loving kindness to us. God, in our search, and our longing for truth, you give it to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we don't have to ever be in doubt of anything. That you have equipped us with everything that we need. And that you are the God of truth. And that you always tell the truth. And we can trust you with that. God, we also know that in you we can be fully satisfied. That the longings of our hearts, the things that we desire and the things that we want, we can say that Jesus is better. He's better than all those things. And our life consists of more than just obtaining possessions. It is resting in Jesus Christ. Because only in him will our hearts our hearts rest, Lord. Now as we sing, let us sing with joy in our hearts, as a reminder that God, you are the God of truth, and you satisfy every longing heart through the righteousness only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this in your sweet, precious name, Amen. Please join us as we.